1: Good afternoon, I'm Roshan Kanderson, and this is Enterprise Biz Bytes. Tomorrow, six states in Malaysia head to the polls after two weeks of campaigning to determine their state governments. In the lead up to that, we're going to be taking a leadership perspective on events that have happened along the way. Today on the show, we'll be taking a leadership perspective on the back of certain long-standing candidates like Cat Taker, Deputy Chief Minister Dr. P. Ramasamy being dropped from the candidates list and claims of lack of transparency and bias of the process coming out. Today, we'll be speaking with Hetal Doshi, CEO and August, organizational psychologist at Opsych, a firm that uses psychological strategies to help make organizations successful. We'll be getting into the role of leaders when it comes to maintaining transparency at the workplace, how they can handle changes and discontent, as well as how firing employees should be managed. Just a quick note that this was recorded before Dr. P. Ramasamy quit the party. If you have any thoughts on this, you can WhatsApp us on our U-Mobile number at 018-789-8899. In the meantime, here's my conversation with Hetal Doshi. Hetal, in the light of recent events surrounding the state elections here in Malaysia, uh, something I noted earlier as well... um, maybe give us a sense here of how important transparency is in leadership, especially when making significant decisions like how you hire and how you fire, right? Or in the parallel to this situation, how you pick candidates and how you drop candidates, because there is an argument to be made that leaders need to make decisions. But at the same time, there is a certain level of transparency expected depending on, I guess, how the culture of that organization. Right.
0: Um, So interestingly, obviously transparency is critical for good governance. However, um, there are organizations and there are leaders that have valued and placed value on censorship over transparency. Um, is that OK? I think consistency is what is what is probably better than what is OK or not OK. If you're a leader and you're consistently in alignment with the value system of censorship and decision making that is in leaders we trust type of decisions, then you know, that's the prerogative of that particular organization, the way that they choose to lead themselves and the values by which they behold uh, decision-making and also consequences to that as well. Um, you know, from a data-driven perspective, however, rather than an opinion perspective, because leaders can have their opinions towards <laughs> how they would like to run their organizations and and their teams. But from a data-driven perspective, obviously transparency is not only uh, valuable, but it's also critical to uh, a couple of things. Number one, it prevents subpar behaviors. It prevents people from taking shortcuts, prevents people from doing things that are probably detrimental to the organization. It also prevents uh, the most important wastage in everybody in the organization that's trying to perform. It creates time wastage. And these days we can lose money, but when we start to lose time, um, it creates a significant impact. The third thing that happens when you don't have transparency is historical drama. Historical drama is very, very difficult to get out so even if the organization or the leader begins to try to say, all right, let's now be transparent, the historical drama, the mm. past one year, two years, three years, four years, that level of baggage takes times, three times the amount to be able to clear out. So um, transparency is something that I guess is, is a value system, either between censorship or transparency. Da- from a data-driven perspective, transparency is critical. It helps to eliminate a lot of time, a lot of cost and a lot of drama, historical drama. Um, And so, yeah, it is critical to probably consider having that in candidate selection and candidate dropping um, altogether.
1: Now, uh, the two key points I took away from that is the consistency element as well as the communication of that. Right. So if you are consistently one way and then you behave differently, there is a little bit of a cognitive dissonance that happens. And obviously, people get a bit upset by that because... They expected a certain thing, and now you're not fulfilling those expectations. Um, yeah, the, I love you're yeah. using
0: the psychology word like "cognitive dissonance." I, I, I took um, I took one too course, you
1: know, in college, <laughs> like just just one. I had to throw it in there a little bit. No, that's
0: that's so true. I think basically you're you're signaling distrust because you're saying one thing and you're doing something else. So you're signaling an inability to trust what you're whatever is coming out of your mouth.
1: Edel, the. The discontent uh, that can come out from that kind of mis- uh, the misalignment of expectations, such as the one we're seeing with some of the candidates who have come out, the longstanding candidates who have come out uh, to uh, claim lack of transparency. Um, from an organizational psychology perspective here, um, how can leaders effectively communicate such decisions to prevent or minimize discontent? Obviously, consistency is one part of that. Uh, but uh, is there a larger way to be communicating in that sense?
0: Yeah, I would just go uh, right into um, an outcome. Like, um, we can take all kinds of actions, but and and those actions could create contentment or discontentment. Um, People are very difficult to please. So no matter what you try to do, I don't think it's about making people content. I think it's really about focusing on what is it that we really want at the end of the day. And I think it would be a complete waste of an opportunity or rather maybe maximize the opportunity if we can really focus on having the best candidate because you really want the organization to thrive and the best fit for the organization in that particular context. So I think when leaders communicate, they're not just talking about which candidate we want in or which candidate we want out. They're really talking about the context by which they need to be successful. um, What is the process that they have taken? What standards by which these processes are approved, like certain ISO standards that they're in compliance with? Um, and probably communicate that in a way that is documented mm. uh, and put up transparently for anyone to be able to see. At the same time, potentially opening up a Q&A for anyone who can ask any questions, uh, pretty much of an internal town hall of sorts. There are some leaders who have done this exceptionally well, and I think we should really, really pay attention, not to those who haven't done well, but to the ones who have done well, because we really want to maximize and, and be be those butterflies that
1: exist right now in the world. Yeah, uh, and once you establish those kind of practices, I guess the consistency becomes important uh, so that, again, you don't have too much uh, discontent. Now, obviously, discontent can also come up from uh, leaders have to make decisions and sometimes you may not like those decisions as you mentioned earlier, you can't please everybody. But overall then, how can leaders uh, ensure that their decisions, especially ones that may ruffle feathers, are perceived as fair and just by the team members. Is, is that something that should be top of mind or uh, is this business as usual?
0: Yeah, I think, um, you know, when we looked at psychosocial risks in Malaysia um, and over the past two years, one of the top risks that organisations face is employees' perception of unfairness and injustice. Once you feel that you're unfairly treated or there's unfairness, you begin to evoke a part of the brain called the amygdala, which begins to want to fight, mm. flight or freeze. <laughs> so basically, you're kind of going against the aspiration of the organization and you're moving towards attacking from a fear-based perspective. So, yes, it is critical as much as possible to do things from a place of fairness, justice and mm-hmm. equality for example, you know, you ask parents, do you think you're fair and you treat your children fairly? They'll say, yes, I treat all three fairly. But then if you ask the child, they might say, no, I don't feel that I'm being treated fairly. Of course, the one who's most loved and treated the best will always say, yes, my parents are very fair. <laughs> However, there are processes that are very easily put in place just to say, all right, this is the, this is the context by which we have decided how we're going to be recruiting and for what purpose? Because in a particular era in an organization, it could be about having a CEO or a candidate that could maximize growth. For a particular moment or era, it could be about mitigating losses. For a particular period of time, it could be about transformation. So the type or quality of the you know, the, the, the the magic of the candidate all depends on the context. And it's a very simple process. It's just saying, these are the, the five things that we're going to be doing to make a selection. These are the people who are going to be part of it. Uh, no member in the organization has anything to do with it. The main selected committee, uh, the 10 of us, for example, seven of us, are the ones who are gonna be making a decision. How the decision is made is based on validated assessment tools, three rounds of interviewing, case studies and simulations, and then five people voting as majority. And that's the end of that. So just being very clear. And I think the ones who are not clear, probably the ones who are not even 100% sure about how the process is being um, taken place from a process-driven point of view.
1: Uh, Hito, we've got to go into a few messages right now, but we'll be back in just a little bit. Folks, I've been speaking with Hetel Doshi, the CEO and Organisational Psychologist at Opsych. And we've been talking about how leaders can handle discontent that comes after a decision that they've made that may not have been received well. And of course, they've been talking about this because certain long-standing candidates were dropped from the candidates list in the lead up to tomorrow's state election. Uh, and there were claims of lack of transparency and bias over the process. And Hetel has help, been helping us talk about how leaders can better communicate and handle these kind of situations uh, from a leadership perspective. I'm Roshan Karnison. This has been Enterprise Biz Bytes. Keep it here to BFM 89.9, The Business Station.
0: Brewing frothy mocha. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.
1: Hey folks, welcome back to Enterprise Biz Bytes. I'm Brucin Kanderson, and this afternoon I've been speaking with Hetal Doshi, CEO and organizational psychologist at o Psych, a firm that uses psychological strategies to help make organizations successful. Uh, we've been talking about how leaders can handle discontent that arises from decisions made on the back of certain long-standing candidates being dropped from tomorrow's state elections uh, from the candidates' list. There have been claims of lack of transparency and bias over the process. So today, Hetal and I uh, have been exploring how this could have been maybe handled better from a leadership perspective, how leaders can handle discontent and changes, as well as how firing employees should be better managed. Um, Heidel, following on from our conversation earlier, um, when leaders have to make tough decisions, like dropping certain candidates or employees, um, what are the best practices to ensure that the process is um, relatively well-received, at least, whether it's transparency or communication? Right. Um, I love
0: that you started out by saying it, during these tough times, uh, leaders have to make tough decisions. Uh, but leadership is really, you you are measured as, a you know, your level of greatness as a leader is measured during tough times. And it is in those tough times, uh, you know, how your behavior shows up that matters for a very, very, very long period of time to come. So it's not necessarily about dropping candidates or keeping candidates. It's about tough times and how you're going to be measured from a public perspective. Um, so I think, you know, there are certain countries in th- that are held extremely accountable to any form of public uh ha that comes out um, and people are very unhappy about it. So for example, in Singapore, um, there were a couple of cases that had come up mm-hmm. and they took it to the nth degree. And I think they did an exceptional job where even though when we talk about transparency, nobody likes to live in a glass house We want other people to live in glass houses, but we don't want to live in a glass house. We want them to be transparent, but we don't always want to be completely transparent. But in a very, very tough moment in Singapore over the past few months, I'm not saying that they're the best, some of the best behaviors that I've seen that come out is the minister that was was put into the question or the questioning was made to share um, anything and everything that was asked about why he made certain decisions and why he ended up having certain privileges or what appeared to be certain privileges. So I think it should be a situation where um, if you really feel that you are a great leader, these are actually the best opportunities for you to be using to sit down and have a conversation about who you really are, how you make those decisions, how difficult they are, how willing you are to learn Um, about how to make better decisions in the future and take on that feedback but saying this is the best that we could do at that point in time because it is trust doesn't get built up in one moment it gets built up in many small little moments over a long period of time and then people say you know what this person even though they've made certain funny decisions this person is always going to be forgivable because I understand where that person comes from. So um, I think it's a matter of just sitting down. We've got all, all of us have video cameras, sitting down, taking, you know, putting yourself in the, in the spotlight and saying, all right, I'm willing to take five minutes, 10 minutes of anybody willing to ask any questions. Because I, I think that's the very least that you could be doing in a situation where it's uh, fully privileged. And you also want people to begin to listen to you. And the best way to do that is to begin to listen to them as well.
1: Okay. So, Hito, how can leaders handle the aftermath of such decisions, especially when there's public or internal backlash? You know, whether you are the leader who made the decision or you're the leader who has been asked to leave, for example.
0: Right. I I think, again, this is a difficult time where, you know, when you've had the full brunt of uh, public or internal backlash, whether you are the leader who's been you know with the one who's taken the action or the one who's been on the receiving end. um I, I really would like to just add a little bit of my past experience probably about the past 10 years or so uh working in in this context i've actually seen leaders in malaysia being extremely resilient with a lot of dignity uh when they've asked to when when they've been asked to leave and i've been i think i've learned a lot from these great leaders um, so I would just say that if you're if you're an awesome leader and a leader that is someone that, you know, would be worthy and wanted wherever you go, it doesn't matter whether you have been asked to leave because you'll always find the next best thing because of the character that you've displayed, especially in difficult times. If you're the leader who has stayed back and, you know, within the organization and you're the one who's made a decision that, Um, obviously has been received very poorly, it is an opportune time to allow yourself to be vulnerable and show your vulnerability a little bit. I mean, you don't have to go full blown, but um, (laughs) to share that, yeah, you know, that uh, this was a very difficult decision. Why was it a difficult decision? Why was that decision made? What are some learning lessons over there? How have processes become better post this decision? And also any feedback or any suggestions of very specific things that can be improved after that Uh, because even though you may not be forgiven when you are vulnerable and you're open to learning and doing better you become even though again you're not forgiven but you become forgivable Mm. and that's very very crucial to rebuilding trust all over again
1: maybe on the flip side of that uh, that question, Hitl. Um, What are some of the psych- psychological impacts on employees or in the case of uh, other organizations members, when they feel that decisions have been made without transparency particularly in an organization that has, let's say, prided itself on, on transparency in the past?
0: I mean, I think we would be lucky if employees get angry. We'll be very lucky if they get angry because that that means that there's going to be movement towards a certain direction that is of a fundamental gain for the organization. Like, for example, when Google had employees getting very angry with certain processes and procedures, they had employees uh, creating a strike and that ended up becoming valuable for the organization. Um, It would be very valuable, again, like I said, if people get angry and do something about it. But what would be the worst case scenario is when people become apathetic from a place of helplessness and they see that, all right, we've learned that we are not able to do anything about it, we are disempowered, there's no point. Um, The moment people gain apathy and numbness, I think it's game over for an organization, because there's just not going to be not only no movement, but probable sabotage from that space as well. And that really, really goes against the entire premise of an organization, which is to be very profit generating, which is supposed to be, you know, of extreme high value to a community. Uh, So it just makes no sense to make those choices as leaders.
1: So, Hetal, on a parallel note uh, to something you said earlier, um, how can leaders rebuild trust after making decisions that are unpopular or perceived as lacking in transparency? Or, again, if there's another other sort of backlash towards a decision, how do you rebuild that trust?
0: Um, super tough. <laughs> <laughs> it is It is. It is um, an up, uphill battle. And I've seen a lot of leaders that have tried to... Uh, Come make a comeback from reputational damage, not succeeding whatsoever. Um, it is really, really difficult. However, I think when there is a clear, consistent intention towards um, wanting to rebuild something, there could be probable gain from that as well. I think uh, to think about how to build, rebuild trust is important, but I think it's very critical to think about how do you prevent yourself from ever getting in that situation. And um, one of the things that I've realized over and over again is when we see these things happening, it's because there has been a door that has suddenly opened up to the dark side of human behaviors erupting, Mm. erupting in that certain situation. And it is in that moment where consciousness needs to take place, otherwise game theory kicks in. When game theory kicks in, everybody moves in the direction where nobody trusts each other. And it is in this particular situation, I think that everyone can benefit from learning or realizing that the start towards the end of distrust is when we feel that there's a zero-sum game that in order for us to win, somebody else has to lose. And that is really the fear-based part of the brain that kicks in. And the only way to move forward from this space is to begin to open up our minds and our wisdom towards asking ourselves, how can not everybody win, but how can we create as many opportunities for the most number of people to gain without feeling that we are losing? Um, And constantly asking this question every step of the way, whether we have created trust or distrust, what outcomes could be best for everybody? Um, So I I, I think that it is a bit of a cop-out to think of how do I now gain trust after something that has gone wrong? I think the main question should be, how do we always ensure that the moment we feel that we could lose trust, how do we begin to allow ourselves to kick in that big question of, it doesn't mean that one person has to lose in order for the other to win. How do we make sure that all of us can find a way to gain a little bit as well? So I know it's not really answering the question, but I also feel that, that's almost a situation
1: where you've already jumped off the cliff now. Mm. Um, but I guess some important context there as well. And even if there isn't a, you know, a bullet point, uh, step by step in terms of how to do it, um, it, it sometimes there are situations where it is just stuff, right? And you just got to work with what you have then and rebuild over time um, if that is the path ahead. Now, in situations where leaders have to fire or let go employees, um and this is a little bit of a parallel to the uh, earlier uh, issue we were talking about, maybe what are the best practices from an organisational psychology standpoint to ensure that the process is you know, respectful and humane?
0: Right, yeah, and, and, and with the highest level of dignity as well, right? Yes. So we have actually been part of a couple of uh, major outplacement uh, movements within the Malaysian context in organisations that were transforming and um, uh, I, think, I think majority of organizations are doing so well at making a decision on uh, anchoring their intent around having dignified layoffs or dignified movements or outplacements. So one of the things that uh, they've done really well so far is it, moving towards uh, certain international standards that based on ISO 45003, which is like mitigation of all kinds of unnecessary pain caused on human beings as they exit uh, organization. So one of the things that they've done really well is um, ripping the band-aid. So not taking too long because employees already feel it coming. You know, when you just have this mm. instinct that, you you know, there's <laughs> going to be a breakup in place. Like somebody doesn't like you and, you know, this relationship is probably not going to last for too long. Or you feel like somebody's talking. You have this instinct and majority of the time when we have interviews, people already felt that it was coming in like a rolling thunder, so um, one thing that organizations are doing better is that instead of keeping it like a rumor mongering situation where they let it go for six months and they keep contemplating, it's a very quick, fast band-aid, rip the band-aid off approach. But when they rip the band-aid off, just like what we do, obviously it's a very painful experience, but they're also trying to make sure that instead of seeing blood, you know, the remains of blood over there, they're trying to make sure that there's a little bit of a, you know, a nice beautiful garden landscape over there for them to look forward to, which is something what we call What's Your Next. So as they rip the bandaid off and they're asked to leave the organization, what they're also offered is something way better than what they would imagine if they continued living in that particular organization for the period of time that they've been there. So we try to offer the best next phase for all of these people and find a way for mutual gain. So for example, they could be number one, Moving to retirement, and in which case they get a really good package for retirement, and also some courses on how to retire in a way that is a lot more um, mm. enjoyable. Uh, it could be about entrepreneurship, it could be about finding uh, another job that is of a different skill set, could be the same job in a different industry. Uh, but each pathway that we imagine them going, we really water, uh, we do as much as possible to make sure that it feels like a wonderful next step forward for them as well. Um, and in, and in some cases, it's done so well that the people who are remaining in the organization almost feel like, oh my gosh, I wish I got that package as well. Hmm. I'm not saying this, you know, like loosely. I, I, you know, these are actual scenarios that we've, we've heard in the past as well.
1: Um, hey, it's been a pleasure speaking to you about this. Um, anything in particular you want to end on before we wrap up?
0: I think life is cyclical and full of patterns. And being conscious about our choices equals to the next pattern that's going to take place in Malaysia, in organizations, in our communities. So I, I'm you know, hopeful and and definitely see a lot of progress with uh, leaders that are very conscious about the behaviors that they choose for better patterns towards a better Malaysia as well. So i really hoping for more conscious behaviors that lead to better outcomes for, for all of us.
1: Hey till on that note, thank you so much for your time today.
0: Thank you so much, Roshan.
1: I was speaking with Hital Doshi, CEO and organizational psychologist with O Psych. And if you missed any part of this conversation, you can catch the podcast on our website at bfm.my or download the BFM app. You can also find our shows on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other podcast players. Just search for Enterprise BizBytes. Looking ahead, we've got the Breakfast Grill replay that's happening after the 1 p.m. news bulletin. SNS Network Technology made a debut on the Ace market last year. Co founder and managing director Ko Young Hung shares with us usage of proceeds so far, efforts and obstacles for digital education in Malaysia. And uh, of course, they're going to chat about the share price performance. Uh, I'm Roshan Karnas and this has been Enterprise BizBytes. Keep it here to BFM 89.9, The Business Station.
0: You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.